You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tom Jackman, a criminal justice reporter here at The Post. It's my pleasure to welcome Mayor Tashara O. Jones of St. Louis in our continuing conversations about protecting public safety and the role of policing. Thank you for joining us, Mayor Jones. Thank you for having me. And here's a reminder to our audience, we want you to join the conversation. It doesn't have to just be me doing all the yapping here. Please treat your questions and comments to the handle. If I said treat, I meant tweet your questions to at post live, at post live. All right, so Mayor Jones, for those who aren't familiar with her, has a diverse background in finance, small business ownership. She has a master's in public health. She served in the Missouri legislature and she was the St. Louis treasurer for eight years. And then she was elected mayor last April, determined to improve public safety for her city. So, homicides in St. Louis dropped from 263 in 2020 to 196 last year. That's about a 26% drop uh, after hitting its record high. What happened, Mayor? Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, what happened in St. Louis when our homicides dropped is a data-driven strategy of deployment and a focus on deterrence, intervention, and prevention. Um, we are trying to be smart about crime and deploying the right resource to the right call. We're also working with our community partners uh, in the Urban League and Organization for Black Struggle and Cure Violence and other community organizations because this is an all hands on deck approach. Uh, it's not just one, uh, one thing that's outshining anything else. It's an all hands on deck approach to uh, public safety. And I'm gonna ask you about some of those programs specifically. You did mention the Urban League there, James Clark, of the Urban League of St. Louis said in a recent Time Magazine piece that residents are fed up with relying on law enforcement exclusively and they are becoming more involved in neighborhoods. Uh, what's your response to that view? Uh, how much have city authorities collaborated with community leaders and local residents in the response to violent crime? Uh, we've absolutely collaborated. Uh, this doesn't work without community involvement. I believe that people closest to the problem are closest to the solution. So we've held town halls. Um, we have our, our community violence interrupters uh, through the Cure Violence Program in four neighborhoods uh, that are directly involved in the community and, and have a caseload of several uh, people that they are following and working with. Uh, and sometimes with our interrupters, it's something as simple as giving someone a cigarette. So, you know, it's it's, it's like I said, it's not an either or approach, it's a both and approach. Well, that was one of the, uh, one of, there's a lot of different programs you had. One of them uh, you have, well, here's one. Uh, well, you just mentioned cure violence and uh, that you plan to dedicate, I've read, uh, $5 million more to expand this program that help, it also helps people find jobs and get other support. What else is involved in, in cure violence? and uh, apparently, uh, homicides dropped in the neighborhoods where cure violence was targeted last year. Yeah, so we're actually going to put $5 million not only towards cure, expanding cure violence, but other community violence intervention programs. Uh, we're part of a small cohort uh, of community violence intervention programs, uh, cities that are dedicating money from ARPA to programs uh, through the White House. and. Cure violence is one of them, focus deterrence is another. Uh, and But we also wanna listen to the community and have them let us know what other things 
uh, are working uh, because a lot of times our community organizations are working on the ground level and we just don't know about some of the great things that they're doing. So we're going to focus this money not just towards Cure Violence, but other programs as well. So one thing that is talked about a lot in places is that that the, when people call 911, it's not always the, the police that should be sent. And so your city has a program called Cops and Clinicians, uh, which puts mental health professionals in police cars with St. Louis officers to provide resources to people in crisis at crime scenes. Uh, I've read that the program has logged more than 3,700 interactions since it was launched. What have you heard? How is that working? I mean, this is something that really a lot of cities would like to do is to send people other than cops to, to mental health crisis calls. Well, it's not rocket science. And what I like to do is take ideas from other cities and bring them to our environment and let them roll. Uh, Denver has a program similar to this under the leadership of Mayor Michael Hancock, um, as well as uh, Oregon has a, has a similar program. But our cops and clinicians program pairs an officer with a licensed clinical social worker or other behavioral health professional. Um, and they, they just don't show up on the scene of, of violence and eruption, but they also show up when there isn't an incident. They have been able to deter people from entering our emergency rooms as well as entering the criminal justice system. So that saves us you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in, in care uh, and also uh, from people entering our criminal justice system. Yeah, I, I'm sort of fascinated by that. I mean, have you heard anecdotes about people that might otherwise have gone to jail or people that, you know, had a better outcome? And I was interested to know that you had this sort of public health background. Uh, and so I also wondered what you would have thought about this back in the day if somebody had said, you know, how about if you go out on the calls with the cops now? So yeah, what are you absolutely. hearing from the street? Go ahead. Yeah, we're hearing also that uh, they have uh, uh, talked people out of committing suicide, uh, which is huge, right? And so, you know, when, when we have um, our licensed clinical social workers or behavioral health professionals also uh, appear on the scenes of violent incidents, they're also able to talk families down from, uh, from retaliating against, uh, against that other family who's uh, been involved in that incident. Uh, and that's key to uh, to reducing uh, violent crime in our city. Uh, but let me be clear, one life lost to gun violence is one too many, and we have a lot more work to do. Uh, but we're seeing some really great uh, inter interventions um, from the from the methods that we're deploying. That's fascinating. Maybe the mayors will be coming to you now and seeing what's going on in St. Louis, and you guys show them how it's done. Uh, what kind of action? What kind of action would you like to see at the state and federal level? Missouri is a state with uh, among the least restrictive gun laws. I noticed that there were a lot of uh, justifiable homicides in your city last year in which people shot and killed somebody. I think it was, the number was 26 and it was ruled justifiable. And so I don't know, you know, it could have just been a bad year for that. But what what do you need to see from the states and the, the state and the feds in terms of further help for St. Louis? So the Missouri legislature has a love affair with the Second Amendment, uh, so much so that they have relaxed our gun laws to the point where the NRA doesn't even want to play here anymore. They say our job is done and we're gone. Um, and, you know, 
what I would love to see from the Missouri legislature is the ability for mayors like myself to uh, pass common sense gun safety laws on the local level. Uh, they've passed preemption bills that prohibit us from doing so. Um, and we have more guns on our, on our city than, than I'd like to count. Um, and it ties our hands. It, it also makes that our law enforcement officers are not safe as well if there are more guns out there. Um, then they also passed the Second Amendment Preservation Act, uh, which ties the hands of our law enforcement. It, it ties the hands of other local law enforcement from working with our federal partners. And if I had my way, I, I would love to see some federal gun control on the, on the uh, federal level. Um, and, and I'm not talking about taking away anybody's gun, uh, but still we, we have to make sure that we're, we're doing this in a safe manner uh, because we're still losing too many people to gun violence. I want to go to a, an audience question. Uh, we have Stephen Band from Illinois who asked, uh, I live in Chicago. What lessons can or should our city take from St. Louis? So I was watching uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot just on TV just yesterday, and she said something that was really amazing. She said that we cannot arrest our way out of these problems. We have to invest our way out of these problems. And a lot of crime happens in neighborhoods that haven't seen investment for decades. So, so how do we turn our policies to investing in people to making sure they have thriving wage jobs um, and that their neighborhoods are safe and that a built environment is safe for our children uh, with jobs that are located in their neighborhoods uh, so their parents uh, don't have to travel two to three hours just to just to work. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, investment decisions that we can make, intentional investment decisions that we can make that can change the environment and neighborhoods uh, for the people that we represent. Uh, police officers have also been victims of gun violence. You had two officers shot just recently uh, and they feel they feel under stress on, that they're targeted now. Uh, they're the bad guys. Uh, how has that affected the St. Louis Police Department and what can you do about it? Well, first, I want to offer my prayers to uh, the officers who were recently shot. And we also had two officers in an incident, um, uh, in a car accident uh, just uh, days before. Um, and this has been a rough month for our first responders in St. Louis. Uh, but the things that we're trying to do with transforming public safety, in my opinion, are going to help our officers. They are already exhausted. And so we want to take some of the burden off of their shoulders so they can do the work that they were trained to do in our academies, like our cops and clinicians program. You know, a lot of times officers have been deployed uh, to intervene in mental health uh, incidents where they aren't equipped to do that. But we can deploy a behavioral health professional to intervene in mental health uh, and when someone is having a mental health crisis. And so that takes a burden off of our officers to do the work that they were trained to do in our academies. Uh, yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about that because, uh, and I do want to remind people who are watching to send in your questions on Twitter to at post live. Uh, Police department has put a stronger focus on high level crimes. Uh, where do you think we need to rethink the role of policing? Well, our 
public safety director has done just that. He is a uh, criminologist. He has a PhD in criminology, and we're using the data to, to guide our deployment uh, uh, decisions. Uh, data that shows, you know, wh where the uh, where the most crime is happening, uh, and unfortunately, it's in black and brown neighborhoods. Uh, but we're also using that data uh, to guide our investment decisions, our economic development decisions to transform those neighborhoods. Because uh, unfortunately, you know, a neighborhood that has a lot of poverty is also subject to a lot of crime. So we have to change again our neighborhoods and our environments uh, to to not make it a haven for crime and crime involved activity. What what's your view on well I'll just say the word defund the police uh, where do you stand on police funding and how do you respond to the concerns that the push to defund the police has hurt the ability of police departments to respond to violent crime Well I'm going to push back a little bit on that now I've never uttered the phrase defund the police I talk about how we we're trying to transform public safety and use our public safety dollars in different ways and be innovate and use it in more innovative ways. Uh, we have to do something different because doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And so we're using our public safety dollars uh, to make sure that we're deploying the right resource to the right call. Again, a lot of times our police are or first responders. Um, respond to uh, situations that they are not equipped to handle. But if we have a, a public safety department that has different resources and alternative methods of response, then that makes everyone safer. I, I didn't mean to say that you had said to def defund the police. And in fact, uh, virtually every mayor I've spoken to disavows that term and, and says that's not, that's not the answer. Uh, they understand where that sentiment came from, but they don't necessarily say that that is the way to do it when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of running a city. I didn't mean to say that you had said that. Uh, oh, no, take it that way. I didn't. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll make my insults clearer in the future. Uh, <laughs> so here's a, another positive stat uh, out of the, you know, possibly related to criminology and, and thoughtful use of resources. Uh, you had the highest murder clearance rate since 2012 with a clearance rate of 55% on homicides. Uh, in 2020, the city's rate was 36%. Any idea why that happened? Are people cooperating more with the police or are they smarter? What, what's going on with that? That's a real accomplishment. Again, this is all hands on deck. Um, I, I would say a lot of that information comes through our community partnerships. Um, again, this, this, can't be, uh, this can't be on the shoulders of law enforcement alone. It's going to take everybody at the table, everybody working together uh, in order to increase our clearance rates. And again, you know, our, our deployment strategy has also changed. And we are focusing more on violent crime and also being present in neighborhoods and in situations uh, that could turn violent. Um, and so there are, all, there are also a lot of relationships within the community uh, with our law enforcement. So we are deploying the right resource to the right call, as well as using data to, to drive our deployment strategies. Next month marks 10 years since the death of Trayvon Martin, which sparked the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, how do you measure the impact of his death and the movement that followed? Well, as the mother of the most adorable 14-year-old son, um, you know, deaths like Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown, even local here to St. Louis, um, make me want to hug my son a lot tighter. Um, however, it's my job as his mother 
um, to make sure that I can do whatever I can as mayor to make sure that um, that that things are safer for our children. Uh, my son and I were having a conversation uh, just months before I won this race, and he was asking, you know, what the mayor does and what the mayor is responsible for. And I said, well, you know, I named, you know, streets and traffic and refuse, you know, and all of those things. And I said, the police. And he said, oh, well, that means I'll be safe. And it's it just hit me like a ton of bricks because my son should not have to feel like his mother has to be mayor in order for him to feel safe around our law enforcement. Um, so, you know, it's, it's again, it's my job as mayor to change the environment that our children grow up in and to also see law enforcement uh, as partners and not be scared. So, speaking of our environment, uh, the numbers look great. Uh, we've gone over a bunch of them, but we still have these headlines of bad things happening. Uh, you know, Representative Cori Bush's car got shot the other day. Uh, and St. Louis has no stronghold on this. You know, Washington is being overrun by carjackings. Uh, so there's progress being made, but the headlines are still bad. What do you say to people who say, yeah, but I'm still afraid to go out there? You know, I would say that um, things are headed in the right direction, uh, but we still have a long way to go. Um, while we are encouraged by the numbers we saw in 2021, uh, in the first nine months of my administration, I'm not celebrating. Uh, I'm making sure that we're uh, doubling down on on the strategies that we know work um, and making sure that uh, we provide a, a community where everyone feels safe in their neighborhoods. Is the federal government doing enough to support cities in dealing with both the immediate and the deeper root causes of this violent crime wave? I think the attorney general told the conference of mayors recently that the Biden administration was looking for a billion dollars worth of grants. Are you getting the help you need from the feds? Um, so far, we are. Like I said, you know, St. Louis is one of 16 cities in a cohort that's using ARPA funds for community violence intervention programs. And um, we're gleaning a lot from, um, from our involvement there. Um, I'm in the U.S. Conference of Mayors on the advisory board. So uh, a lot of times I talk to my brother and sister mayors from across the country, gleaning uh, ideas from what they've done. Um, and, and I think one of the most important things that we have to remember is a lot of uh, a lot of the people who are committing crimes or it's, it's about our young people. And so how are we developing ways to really put our arms around our young people and show them a different way um, and, 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 and trying to cure poverty? Because if we don't cure poverty, you know, we're still treating this at the at the symptoms. And we have to treat the, the underlying disease just like we are with COVID, right? We're looking at the root causes of COVID and trying to mitigate those circumstances. We have to do the same thing when it comes to gun violence in our communities. Got another question from the tweeter. Uh, a resident, uh, I don't know if they're a resident, but it sounds like it. How does the mayor address juveniles committing serious crimes in St. Louis? Oh, actually, it's a DC resident. For example, in DC, a majority of carjackings in 2021 were committed by juveniles. Uh, so it's, a, it's sort of a separate kind of population, crime committing population. Yeah, well, again, we have to uh, 
we have to put our arms around our young people and, and provide opportunities for them to uh, to have fun and safe and productive activities. Uh, in in uh, St. Louis, for example, just last summer, we had uh, an increase in crime downtown that was committed by a lot of young people. So what did we do? We got together with our civic and corporate partners um, and, uh, and faith partners, and we started uh, having activities downtown uh, for our young people. We had a cypher or a rap battle. We had esports and arts. Um, and so we have to continue uh, to have uh, productive and safe activities for our young people uh, to get involved in because, you know, an idle mind is a devil's workshop. And so an idle downtown or an idle neighborhood is a troublemaker's paradise. Well said. All right, here's another question from Donna Cobb. Uh, are you doing anything around re-entry to reduce crime given recidivism rates among returning citizens? Yes, absolutely. So in St. Louis, we ban the box uh, and we uh, more often times than not, we um, uh, take a look at uh, our returning citizens uh, as potential employees. Uh, we're setting up um, a re-entry uh, support division uh, that's going to be um, part of our corrections division. Uh, so, uh, and you know, and I'm a daughter of an ex-felon, so I believe that people deserve a second chance. Uh, and so, you know, I do what I've done, whatever I can as treasurer, and will continue to do that as mayor uh, to offer second chances to our returning citizens. I got a COVID question for you. Uh, how concerned are you about the strain on the healthcare system from the pandemic on your city's healthcare system and hospitals? I'm very concerned. Um, you know, in St. Louis, we're the only city, I think we're the one of the only cities left in the state that still has a mask mandate. Um, we haven't lifted our, we have, reinstated our mask mandate back in July and haven't lifted it since, despite attempts from our attorney general to sue us uh, to try to invalidate our mask mandate. Uh, we have a wonderful health director who has been laser focused on getting more shots in arms and getting more people vaccinated um, from five years and up. We have vaccine clinics in schools and churches um, in community centers. Uh, and we're also taking the time to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations with people who are still vaccine hesitant. Uh, vaccine hesitation is a real thing and we still, and we have to be patient with our neighbors uh, to try to uh, convince them that this is the best way to stave off uh, or mitigate the, the bad effects of COVID. Here's a, a question from a, uh, someone which I'm interested in. I hate to bring up the subject of the Rams. Uh, they'd be going to the Super Bowl and all, but uh, there was just a massive settlement for the city, uh, your city, uh, because they left, because St. the St. Louis Rams went away. $790 million, I want to say. And uh, Nick Palazzolo asks, what's going to happen with that money? So we're still in negotiations with St. Louis County and the Regional uh, Sports Authority uh, to divide the remaining pot after the lawyers uh, got their 35% off the top. Uh, because it was a contingency case. Uh, and so we're looking to, um, uh, once we uh, reach an, a settlement amount, we're, we'll be looking to spend this money directly in the community in, in ways that are going to be sustainable for years to come. You, I'm sorry, I got lost in all my questions here. Uh, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel uh, on the 
I want to go back to the COVID, I'm sorry, but do you see a light at the end of the tunnel uh, on breaking this cycle of admissions and hospitalizations? Uh, are you getting there? You know, I hope so. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that I have learned over these last couple of years is that COVID is very unpredictable. Uh, just when we thought that we were in a good space uh, last summer, then here came the Delta variant. And then the Delta variant went down yeah. and then here the Omicron variant. Um, and, you know, I can only hope that, you know, if people are watching and they are not vaccinated, that they consider getting vaccinated. And if they're still hesitant to talk to a provider or a healthcare professional that they trust, uh, this is the best way for us to get out of this pandemic. Well, that was fascinating. I really enjoyed speaking with you and, and you putting up with all my wisecracks. So, uh, and I think we heard a lot about how a city is dealing with a lot of different things at the same time. So uh, thank you, Mayor jo Jones, for speaking with me today. It was wonderful. Thank you. It's such an honor. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.